Hello, and welcome to Educational Triage, where we discuss issues in alternative education. This is a discussion about teaching by teachers, for teachers, and others who are interested in the alternative education world. We hope you find today's episode relevant, engaging, and useful. And if you do, please subscribe. I'm Tony Hunt, and I'm here to help guide you with the help of my friends, Christy and Philip. And welcome back to Educational Triage. Tonight, I'm joined by Philip Summers. Aloha. Hey, Philip. Uh, Christy couldn't make it tonight. She has a family thing going on. And we all know that when you have children and the spring rolls around, you are doing super duty. So that's what Christy is up to right now. So um, tonight we have a couple of things on the agenda. We're going to look at working through a kind of lesson for universal design for learning as promised last week and take you through that. And we also have a question. So somebody asked me a question and I thought we would start off our program with that and get that one going. And then we would move into the actual topic of the week. How does that sound to you, Philip? That sounds good. And, and for the record, I don't okay. know the question. I have not. He doesn't know the question. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a question that I have heard from a lot of different people. And somebody came to me and they said, well, let me ask you this. My child was going to outdoor school, which here in the Northwest is pretty typical. Uh, sixth graders, they go to outdoor school for about a week. But this year, because of the pandemic and everything else, they are doing it as kind of a day camp. And this parent's child went the first day and came back and said, yeah, I'm not really wowed. I really don't want to go the next days. And the parent said, well, what if I drove you? Would you go then? And the student said, yes, I'd go if you drove me. And the parent said, fine. So they asked the powers that be, can I take my child to the camp or to outdoor school? And I won't be in the way. I'm just going to stay off to the sides. And they said, no. And so the parent said, why won't they let me do that? And Philip, what would your first response be? Oh, that's funny. I was just thinking about that. So first off, I would not say no, <laughs> I don't think, unless it was my insurance company telling me you can't do that. But my question, also the question is, did the parent want to hang out or just drop off? No, the parent would hang out because it's about an hour and a half, two hour drive for the parent each way. Right. Okay, I get it. Um, I don't know what the policy of the camp versus the policy of the teachers or the school would be i suppose if you had a parent around you'd have to have a volunteer a volunteer form signed which means there might have been a background check issue um mm -hmm. i don't know there might be some extenuating circumstances if there weren't i would be accommodating but if there were circumstances that kept me from allowing that i couldn't do it well, the only reason why the parent wanted to do it was to make sure that their, their child was actually going to. Yeah, I understand that. Going to and the outdoor school. It, but once they're there, I mean, if the parent, I suppose you could tell the parent, I'm sorry, but you have to like go find something to do during the day and come back and pick up your child. 
if they couldn't be on the premises. But, but if they could be, then just have them hanging out. If they, but what if you – it costs – But you're already paying the cost of the bus as the school. And now you're thinking, okay, if one parent does it, pretty soon we have a ton of parents who are going to be doing it. That's true, too. And and then you're going to have a lot of parents who are hanging out. And if you do it with one, you know that other parents are going to say, hey, I want to do that. And because the kids go home and they talk. Well, that's true. So, except for the fact that they just sit there and, and not do anything and wait you know, to drive their kid home after that day. If they wanted to do that and there was parking space for that. Or if they wanted to go meet someplace, by all means. But I don't know if you'd have to Philip? offer the facility to them. Philip? I don't know. It's interesting. How many parents? How many parents do you know that are just going to sit there for an entire day and do nothing? Well, that's the truth. That that would be their only option, wouldn't it? I mean, if they couldn't join in on the, the lessons, if they couldn't actually be active, then heck, we don't. How many parents do you know that would take? You know, How many parents do you know parents. that would listen? Yeah, well, that you, would be an You issue. really think You're the right. parents... Yeah. You're right. You're right about that. So maybe that's why they said no. But that's what I said I was... Adored uh, alternative ed so much is I didn't have that many students, so I didn't have to make a blanket policy. Mm-hmm. But I can definitely see mm-hmm. the complications in there, yeah. Well, I told the parent that the reason was because of interference, potential interference. Yeah, that's one. That's second, true. the second, the second part is, how does how's the how's the student going to learn any form of independence? True, I would encourage the I student mean, to ride the bus with everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, the student should be able to be with their class and not have mommy or daddy tagging along with them. And um, unless there were some really special circumstances that was pre-negotiated, but I just can't see a parent coming in. And we're dealing in the days of Karens and Kens. And so why are you why are you doing this with my kid? Why didn't you do that with my kid? Why are you treating my kid differently? Da, 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 da. Or else they jump in and they say, wait a second, my kid had his hand raised up, you know, just that kind of potential or the parent wants to jump in and start asking questions and kind of takes over the conversation. There's so many different things that could be happening. And well, I wouldn't allow the parent I to just, just volunteer in my classroom because they wanted to drive their kid to the, the, the camp itself. I'd say, yeah, that's right. You can have to go do something. You can't be a part of the classroom. You can't right. I just find it to be kid. a bit extreme. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. It would be. I would say if you wanted to really drive your kid, I suppose I couldn't stop you, but you can't like mm-hmm. hang out in the classroom. That doesn't give you carte blanche to go to school with your son or your daughter. Yeah. We're still at school. Right. We're still doing our thing. Yeah. Yeah, there needs to be some form of detachment. Definitely. It would be way helicoptery. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. I made a verb out of that. <laughs> it's true. It's yeah. true, but it's not. It's it's. It's the potential of the helicoptering. It's the potential of being an interference. Um, and it's also... It's very, very... It also interferes with the child being able to be themselves. 
Oh, that would be the worst. Instead part. of under the watchful eye of the parent. I mean, how many students do you know that? <laughs> if you know, some of them feel that they can get away with murder now that mommy and daddy are there, and they can't do that if their parents aren't there. Or they so it just sets up an entirely pressure. new dynamic. Yeah. What's that? Or they feel an scrutinizing pressure. Oh, there's my mom. She's <laughs> watching me, and oh my gosh, I mean. I gotta watch my P's and Q's <laughs> big time. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, it'd be horrible for the kid. I just think about the poor kid. So yeah, yeah, that's. They just said yeah. no. I don't know. Maybe that's the best thing. Just no. I would just say no. It's a lot safer. So yeah, it is. Um, it is. And I think, and one thing that I do want to do in the ensuing episodes is. We're going to be coming up with different questions that people are asking, and we're going to discuss them. So, so, you know, um, sometimes you just have to set clear boundaries, and it's good for the students to see that there are clear boundaries as well, and that their parents can't cross some of them. So, who knows, right? I don't. I don't know everything. (sighs) But I'm more than Neither do I. (laughs) <laughs> huh? they live long enough maybe <laughs> and then they change True. it uh, <laughs> I've been doing that lately going back things I think I know and going is that really true I've caught myself on a few it's like that's not true mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I can't recall well I was on is, a walk go ahead I was on a walk this evening and we and this woman from France she was talking about how Kenneth Branagh's French accent in Death on the Nile was really irritating her. And I said, <laughs> I said, French. <laughs> it's not, he doesn't have a French accent. He's Hercule Poirot is not French. He's Belgian. He's Belgian. She said, no, he's not. <laughs> he's Belgian. Yeah. I said, and the accent is different. And she said, no. And I said, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. And she said, no, he's not. And then she Googled it and she turned around. And she said, you're right. Ooh. And I said, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you said, evidemment. <laughs> I said, bien sûr. Bien sûr. Bien sûr. Sans apologie. For sure. So just be busy. What a drag. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, okay. So now we can launch into universal design for learning and walking through an example of a lesson plan. So, okay. So as we discussed last week, a lot of us, it's really hard for us to separate the classroom from ourselves because we're used to sort of being the pivot point. We're used to being the center of the of the information download. And this is taking it the other way where we are looking at it being student-centered. So while we may be a resource, we are more of a facilitator. We are more of a mentor. Um, and we usher the students towards their final goal. So the one thing that we do want to do is we want to build, as we stated, we want to build around the edges first. So if we build around the edges and we know what the shape of things are, so we know what the constructs are, we know what the class is, what the goal is, and then we come up with what we want the students to learn and we have a due date. 
And we also look at how are they going to demonstrate what they've learned. So we throw an open-ended something out to them. So let's take the Civil War, because that's like a generally large topic. And Hmm. our goal for this section of the larger unit is going to be um, what are the causes? What were the causes of the American Civil War? And so let's let's create an anticipatory set for that first. So what would be, because Philip, you taught social studies, correct? I did, yeah. Yeah, so what would you use? What kind of, is there a story? Is there like a short clip? Um, what is it that you could use that would, <coughs> excuse me, get the students interested and intrigued so that they might be able to discuss something? and get going on the American Civil War? Uh, first off, I like to use film or um, illustrations in sort of, uh, shall we say, kinetic form? So I'm trying to think of it. That's not one of my fortes, the causes of the Civil War. Um, but what I'd like to show is something that shows what life's like north versus south. Um, as far as lifestyle and economics go. So I don't know. I'd like to point them in the direction of just the attitudes of the people, South versus okay. North, the labor, and when it mm-hmm. comes to their identities themselves. So I would get them so, to understand both the North and the South from that standpoint. Okay, so for an anticipatory set, let's say that you're going to spend one class period getting getting people into some of the general causes of the American Civil War and the anticipatory set might be what is the th- what is the think of the north and what is the think right. of the south and you take a look at the labor force you take a look at what else besides labor force what well, you take a look at the labor force you'd also take a look at the frontier um okay John Browns and then Nate Turner's versus the abolitionists up north, and okay, um, make so, sure to let them know okay. there are some black abolitionists working up north too. Okay, so we have the abolitionists up north. Yeah. When you say frontiers, I'm constantly thinking of borders. But yeah. what do you mean by frontiers? You're talking about Kansas, Nebraska. You know, the frontiers of the 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 nation at that time we're kind of bordering out there. We, we'd started to go out into the Oregon territory, but the Comancheros was very dangerous to go down in Texas. So we didn't have any, any population in Texas really at that time. It was still hostile. The North, we still hadn't forged that, that direct connection to Oregon, you know, in the 1840s. So it's fairly frontierish. Kansas and Nebraska were pretty much on the borders. That was where it was. But can we keep it simple? Future America, and so get them to know that if those areas were to be slave, then chances were more states going westward would be slave as well. That sort of thing. Get can we can that. we simplify it? Yeah, everything was going west, including slavery. I mean, once they're going through the identities, then they start to identify. <laughs> anyway, yeah, they start to assume the characters of the Civil War. They'll start to understand it better. And then hopefully that. Can you say that again? Because you cut out. You cut out on that one. Can you just try to say that all over again? Yeah. You want to make them identify with 
the characters that you know that the people that lived in the moment and by doing that it raises a bit of a passion because once you make a, a contact with that identity you start to you know understand a little bit more of the human inside so then they start looking into hopefully other things about the civil war you want to point some of them toward the politics some of them toward the military but you want to make sure the guidelines are broad enough one kid would like to make one right. project it's you know always making the project doesn't always work so they have to cover enough of the main things that you want them to cover but do it through the identification do it through process okay so then once you get that going then then we can have the teams come up with some different causes the off the top of their head of what might have caused the civil war and maybe some other resources and other ideas of what they might actually start to look at as far as what those causes might be. Right. And so we're going to need to set a timeline for them. And so now we've got the edges. We know what they're going to do. They're going to be looking at the actual causes. They've got a good start. Um, and now they can actually dig in and they can maybe look at two or three of those causes individually. Maybe they're going to work in partners. I don't know, but that depends. So now let's take a look and let's say that you have a week and that's this is what you want them to be doing for that week is working on this. So we're going to look at Peter Gray because Peter Gray says that this is where the self-directed learning comes in. But if they know that they have a week, then let's deconstruct it a little bit and take that timeline and go backwards. So as a team, making meaning the class is a team, let's have the class go backwards a week and look at where they should be and what they need to do on those, let's say, five to seven days in order for them to be successful and to accomplish what they need to do. And so if the class can decide all of these things, then while they're doing that, then we can also have them brainstorm how they're going to do. So I've taken care of the when, the what, and now we're going to look at the how. So how do you think that they might be able to best do something like this? So I came up with some ideas that might be a student can do an essay. They might do a PowerPoint, a graphic novel. They might do an ABC book where they create A is for abolition. B is for Brown, John Brown but they have to flesh it out and they have to make sure that it's got something to it. They could do a video, a blog, um, something with music, something with art. Maybe they do a board game and they have the rules, they have the pieces and components and there are all kinds of other possibilities. Can you think of any other possibilities there, Philip, oh, that certainly. students they might could, come up with? They could make a movie, they could write a script. Um, mm -hmm. they could do a, a, a short play. I've had a kid actually do a play and they pulled it off. It was amazing. I discouraged it because I thought it'd be huge, but the kid wanted to do it and it was wonderful. Um, I've had people do, um, archeological inspections. They've done things like 
um, explore the lives of the people that live there through archaeology or anthropology, even, you know, some of the folk tales. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had you know, kids reconstruct some of the um, the slave songs um, based upon recordings that were done in the 30s um, during the Depression, where they were recorded in Angola prison farm. And it's the closest they got mm-hmm. to getting actual songs that slaves sang, but they're pretty much kind of still accurate. Things like that. Um, geez, what else could we do? I mean, the blues. I, I can think just off the top of my head, um, a video collection, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, a tour of the South um, through a PowerPoint. There are so many different. YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, there's just so many aspects and so many different things that might come off the top of their heads that we don't even consider. Right. I always feed because off of them. So it's helpful. Right. To have them. Around. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. So the kids, now you have time for them to choose what it is that they're going to do. Maybe this is part of your week. Maybe it's something that's going to add into your week. So you might end up maybe having flexible dates to the point where you know that you're going to need a little bit more time. Yeah. And but in order to guide the student, now we have to have a rubric. And the rubric needs to be universal enough so that the student knows exactly what they need to do. So what does, okay, so we want, let's say that each student has to come up with three different uh, causes of the Civil War. And let's say that half the t- half the class is going to do the North and the other half is going to do the South. Do you think that the Nebraska-Kansas, do you think that had something to do with the Civil War as well? Well, that absolutely did. Um, okay, so maybe we break it into thirds. I was thinking I wanted three identities. Um, I would okay. say from the standpoint so we, of the frontier, the North and the South, yeah. Okay, so let's break them into three, into three different yeah. groups. Yeah. And then out of those, each each of those groups, you, maybe some people are going to pair up. Some of them aren't. Some of them are going to do their own thing. And we just allow them to figure out how they will do it. But once they do it, they're contractually obligated to follow yeah. through with that. And yeah. so we're going to, and we want them to journal as they go through what they're doing. So they can explain it. So we're going to do rubrics. And a really great book on doing rubrics is an introduction to rubrics, an assessment tool to save grading time, convey feed, effective feedback, and promote student learning by Danelle D. Stevens. And Danelle Stevens is a former teacher of mine. And it's it's a very basic, very straightforward book on creating these rubrics. And keep them simple. And have the kids also feed into those. So, okay, so we're just going to do the three. So let's say we do the first one. It's very clear. It's concise. It's obvious. There are delineation. There, there are. Correct me when I if I falter or help me. Um, so we need to know that where these each of these causes is coming from and what the underlying factors are. So if we can, if these are clear enough so that we can understand the lines that are drawn so we know where they're coming from, where they're going and how they play out, then 
and we do that with those three and the presentation is clear we might have already created a presentation rubric um, for whatever kind of presentation it is if it's an essay that's a rubric um, but anything else a powerpoint or what have you um, we might have that so just make sure that that's really clear so they know and then what do they need in order to pass so you want to have if you're going to do a four point you want to make sure that everybody has at least all threes and then do they have the option of shoring up a one or a two into a three at a later time but maybe on their time or how are you going to do that am i making sense Philip? yeah I, yeah i would think that the the, the basic um, the minimum for the assignment would be to identify uh, X amount of causes, you know, and, and connect them. Then to get right. the better work, to get the better grade, actually connect these to the events. And even to get the better, best grade, personalize it as well. Take on perhaps the attitude um, in a way, assimilate the identity that you were assigned is in regards to those causes. So you really do feel one or the other. If you were a Southerner, mm -hmm. you really feel like there is no choice but war. And if you're a Northerner, you would feel like there is no slavery to be had in any more territories or states, things like that. And, and then, so mm -hmm. that would be the level of involvement, but the least involvement would be just identifying them in a later date if you wanted to embellish, but of course, you know, better grades for sure. Right, right. So there's always an option for improvement and there's always an option for growth. And there's a minimum. Um, and then you want to. And then what if, what if, let's say, at the end of the task, at the end of this unit, we had a game? And the game was everybody had to switch to a different side and they would have to come up with the causes from that side, but they don't know that that's coming and see how I they like play that. against each other to see how well they listen. Yeah. To see how well they had, they understood the causes from another point of view, whether they thought it was important from another point of view. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that way we're hitting as many different aspects as we possibly can. And if the classroom breaks that... into chaos and bedlam, well, that's the civil war. <laughs> we just can't agree summers right <laughs> right and so now well see my way of thinking is now that they've got that down and they're already invested into it now you can start exploring a lot more venues a lot more aspects as you go through and it's going to be a much more salient experience for them mm. as they're exploring in there they'll own it They'll actually have a stake in the game somehow, hopefully. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so then, yeah, and I think, and possibly, maybe they might even be able to draw some connections between um, how people were dealing with things back then and how people are so polarized today. Yeah, that's always there been the lesson I try to convey. Yeah, I try to try to think about it from a standpoint of what were they thinking at the time, and because uh, it seems crazy in, in looking back, but at the time mm -hmm. they pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. Why? Well, they're doing quite the same things we're doing now. 
Right, right. And there are people who are saying that we are approaching civil war. Depends on which kind of news and what kind of pundits you're listening to. Um, but oddly enough, it would probably sound come across more like the Spanish Civil War, where <laughs> because that was an absolute surrealist mess. Yes, it was. As opposed to what, and because you didn't know who it was and who, uh, yeah. So that would probably be closer aligned, even though um, you could draw some allusions to both of them. Now, okay, so let's say that we take something else and let's say we're going to look at, I don't know, give me another topic. Let's say oh, that we're going please. to look at, let's uh, go back to math. The, the great math. If we go to math, you're going to lose me. That's for sure. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have the wealth of resource. Absolutely don't. Um, okay. Well, let's say we go into biology. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so let's say that we're going to go into meiosis. And meiosis is, give me a quick second. Meiosis is, I believe. Meiosis is cell division. It's the I was going to say the division of cells. What is mitosis? Right, right. I had to I had to do this because yeah. it's very closely related. the The sound of it is meiosis and mitosis, and sometimes yeah. I get them. Um, Which is why I wasn't going to claim up. that meiosis was the division of cells, but I was pretty sure. Right, yeah. right. So, what are some ways that a student can can create? a way to have them invent something that would help a student understand the difference between meiosis and mitosis. Are they going to come up with some kind of mnemonic device? Are they going to come up with um, a chart? Are they going to come up with a song? Are they going to come up with something so that if they had to teach it, that they could parlay the differences and in a very simple way for somebody to say, oh my gosh, yes, of course, because that's meiosis and that is mitosis. Mm. So, I mean, that might be something that you might actually want to do, or you just want to go through meiosis and have mitosis do something different. But mitosis is the division of the, is the division into two nuclei. And meiosis is the division generally of the whole cell. So the mighty might, yeah, the, the might, the, the smaller of the two would be the division of the nucleus, but then the whole cell is meiosis. So, yeah, how would you differentiate that? There's multiple ways. Limericks, songs, there's a model. Um, you could do a labeled model. People like, uh, people like, uh, yeah, so... Ain't no meiosis without a little bit of mitosis. Anyway, I've had kids do some pretty great stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And the list goes on. I like the idea of models, of just marbles or marbles and jello, I'm thinking. Anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, jello is a wonderful one. Where you're, where they have to create something to understand the the parts of a cell, right? You can use Play-Doh, you can use Jello and and oh. grapes, and like gummy worms. Yeah, 
Play-Doh. And all kinds of different candies. Everybody loves Play-Doh. They do. They do. Oh, yeah. But once, but once you use it for this, it's usually not coming back. No. <laughs> Who cares? We're learning. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of stuff that you can do with these. And if you tell the students that they're going to have to create something that's going to teach the difference between meiosis and mitosis, you've got it. Or how about create a machine that does the stuff? Like we create a box and inside the box, it has, it has to have certain things have to have certain roles. Something has to make energy. Something has to get rid of waste. And something has to be the brain of it, nucleus, da-da-da, and kind of ease them into it that way. Make a model, but not a cell model. I would give them, I would actually maybe give them an introduction lesson like that. What would you need if you had a, a house that was working? You need a heater, you need a plumbing system, you need this, that. Yeah. Ask them to do something that's not normative. Right. So instead of just creating a cell, Create a biome that represents <laughs> a cell. Something like yeah. that. Yeah, create a... Yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of things because they're basic functions that all, at least all living creatures have. Mm-hmm. And they have similarities to, to functioning right. in society that way too. Yeah. 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 There's ways so, to relate it. And if you can relate it to bigger things, then, of course, it doesn't just become its own singular little, I can't see the cell, but I know how it operates. Right. Now, one thing that I used to like to do is whenever we do Shakespeare, the students are given certain scenes from the play, and then they have to produce them somehow. And how they decide to do that is up to them. Once I did, once when I was doing Canterbury Tales, the students had to figure out a way to present um, the prologue. And so it was, that was so much fun. We had puppet shows. We had plays where people were popping up and down all over the place. And it was just a lot of fun. And, um, they had, you already knew, they pretty much knew what they needed to do, but they had the ability as a team to to plan things out and to use their imaginations and to be kinesthetic. And they were still also being incredibly creative and it was very well thought out. And they were just a lot of fun and every student did so well. And it really helped bring up some of the lower students so that they felt as though they were contributing something really well. I remember we did where we, we used a lot of film. There was a video that we used off of, um, we used a lot of iPads, basically uh, iPads to film things. We bought a tripod and, and did what, what we called um, said talks instead of TED talks. But um yeah, and uh, they were filmed. Yeah, they had tons of fun filming. So anything they could do filming-wise, I was like really encouraging. And then adding to the course with blocking and scripts and things. But yeah, mm-hmm. they got oh, real cool. good at that one. Nice. Okay. Well, I think we've pretty much hit this one, haven't we? 
Yeah, hopefully it makes we want to get around a bunch of kids and try out something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't mean that this is going to be this, the one thing that you're going to be doing all the time, but it gives you a lot more opportunity to build. And there are some teachers someplace. I did try to, I reached out to a number of people. Um, I was given a lot of leads as far as speaking to people who are currently working within the realm of UDL who had been trained and done it. And I never heard back from them. And I asked somebody why not. And they said, cause they were embarrassed cause they weren't doing it. So, um, <laughs> I just, because somebody else said UDL is a buzzword, just like brain-based research and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that as long as we have that in our toolkit and we use it, and we know what it is, and it gives us a lot more permission to explore. I don't think that it's something that we're going to be able to do constantly, but um, if we allow our imaginations to go, and if we build more student-centered, I think we're going to have a lot more students that are going to be productive and a lot more ready for the workforce. Okay, you'll have a lot happier classrooms, too, yeah. Oh, definitely. And it yeah, builds a lot more relationships. I want, I want to make my yeah. classrooms actually be happier and better for kids. I want to behave in for kids. Really. So I try hard right. that. Right. You know. And that's the and way it should be. I think so. It makes my yeah. life not boring too. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to sit around being <laughs> a teacher looking from the back of my desk at them. You know, I want to be Yeah, involved. exactly. Okay. So, Philip, I'm going to say thank you. And thank you. And, and we will be back next week with even more fun and the topic to be determined so i will leave us all and we will say be well be safe and have a good week